Welcome to another episode of Reformation Roundtable. My name is Joe Stout, and I am pleased to bring you the audio from our fellowship night that took place on March 7th, 2021. Reformation Roundtable exists because we're looking to plant a distinctly biblical, Christ-honoring, Reformed church here in Lewis County. So we've actually been meeting twice a week in pursuit of this goal. We meet on Thursday nights for a time of discussion. That's actually the roundtable discussion. And then we meet on Sunday evenings for our time of fellowship together. So the following audio is from our fellowship time. Now, you're going to hear in this audio a liturgy. We're actually practicing a liturgy for our Lord's Day worship once that begins. I will attach a copy of the order of service in the show notes so you can follow along if you would like. Now, Reformation Roundtable would love to have more people involved. Our goal, this is somewhat of a self-imposed goal, but our goal is to get 10 founding family member households before we actually go live. We're very, very close to this goal. We'd love to go live in March, but we're waiting on the Lord's providence. So we're looking for 10 founding households, so to speak. Uh, And if you'd like to be a part of that, please head on over to lewiscounty.church. There's a contact form. You can fill that out and it'll come directly to me. Or you don't have to fill that out at all. You can check the website for the the next time we're going to get together, which will be uh, Thursday, March 11th. Uh, And then there's also going to be another fellowship night coming up next Sunday as well. You can come to any of those. Uh, You don't even have to tell me you're coming. You can just come. You are welcome to come. So check the events tab at lewiscounty.church or uh, send me an email uh, via the contact form. Any way you want to do it, please join us in this mission. We want to see Christ be honored and glorified and his name be lifted up in majesty here in Lewis County. And we think that the glories that were rediscovered during the Reformation are some of the best ways of doing that. And we'd love to have you join us in that. Well, that's enough for me. I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to the Fellowship Night. I hope you are blessed by it. And once again, I hope you join us in this journey that we're on together to see God's kingdom come on earth in Lewis County as it is in heaven. So our meditation comes from Psalm 139, verses 1 through 4. Hear the word of God. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down, and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. Pray with me. Father in heaven, as we prepare our hearts for worship, we ask that you would focus our minds, sharpen our senses, and soften our hearts to the work of your Holy Spirit. We pray this in the good and strong name of Jesus. And amen. 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 Please rise as we worship the Lord. The Lord be with you. And also also with with you. you. God has gone up with a shout. The Lord with the sound of the trumpet. The Lord has ascended on high. Leading a host of captives in his train. Psalm 103 verses 1 through 5 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, 
who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Pray with me. Father, as you call us into your presence, we are shocked at how you reveal yourself to us. You are high and lifted up, but we also experience your gentleness and your kindness. You forgive our iniquities. You heal our diseases. You redeem our lives from destruction, and you do it all while crowning us with your love and tenderness. You do this all while satisfying us with good things, while renewing our youth as the eagle. We are like Elisha in that we have been given a double blessing of your kindness. We have been forgiven and healed and crowned, fed, and renewed all by you, the God who is calling us into your presence now. May we worship you now by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 We're going to sing praise to the Lord the Almighty. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. Oh, my soul, praise Him, for He is thy health and salvation. All ye who hear, now to His temple draw near. Praise Him in glad
sisters. Good evening. I'd like to start uh, this portion of the service here reading from two scriptures. The first one is Exodus 14, verse 10 through 14. It says, When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. The second scripture is, is very similar, but it's in Second Chronicles 20, and it's dealing with Jehoshaphat facing the vast horde coming out of Edom. And he was very fearful, and he ordered the, the nation to fast and seek the Lord. And verse 13 says, Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, Listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. You know, what do we see here? We see that God often brings his people into certain circumstances that look very bleak and very difficult. Circumstances in which we may not know what to do. I think often that God does this that we might know what he can do. I want to just speak very briefly this evening about trust. And that's what uh, I prayed about the exhortation this evening. And trust is what I just felt strong about. And as we enter this time of confession within the service, let me ask you a question. Are there times in your lives that you pay lip service to truly trusting God? I know in my life I have. We see lapses of trusting God in the Bible. I always think of Abram often um, and how he uh, coerced his wife to claim that she was his sister. You know, I think there's a lack of trust being evident there. And we see how God deals with that in the Word. When we lean on our own understanding, it leads us to stand a guilty distance from God. We cannot trust our own heart because we know it's deceitful above all things and full of all kinds of wickedness. We can't trust our own heart. Jeremiah 17 tells us that. We cannot trust our own bodily strength. The most exercise-obsessed person in the world 
could easily succumb to a terminal cancer, no matter how heartily they fight against it. We cannot trust in our own natural acquired talent. That so often just leads to vanity. I know when I was at when I was at the rescue mission in Tacoma, working with addicts up there, there was something I, I said to them often, because a lot of a lot of programs want to want to change someone's behavior, but our objective was to our objective was to uh, give them the gospel, pray that they would that God would open their heart and they would receive the gospel, and then have something change within their heart. And often I would say to them, and some people got upset at me once in a while, I would tell them, listen, the best you could do got you here. And that, that can apply to anybody in any, in any circumstance. The best you can do can get you here, here at, a, here at a mission with me right now, with the weight of an addiction on you that you have no control over and, is, and you are enslaved to. But God... We think about trust, but God, he's the one who has absolutely and unequivocally demonstrated his trustworthiness. He's the one true, constant, never violating his attributes. It is God who monergistically redeems his people. It's God who never reneges on a promise that he has made. In fact, in tonight's chapter on Chalvary, Doug Wilson tells us, the heart of all biblical covenant-keeping is trust in the promises of God. What is the fruit of a holy trust in God? What is it? It's a fervent, effectual, constant prayer to God. It's a sincere, universal, spiritual, cheerful, and constant obedience to God. It's a confidence in all that God promises to us. It's a contentment that God owns the outcome. It's an understanding that within the framework of the kingdom, God doesn't, God doesn't require us to be successful. He requires us to be faithful. That's what trusting God allows in us. There's an interchange in Mark, in the Gospel of Mark, that has always helped me to understand the heart of the Savior. And I remember early on reading it, it had spawned a prayer in my life that has been a constant prayer in my life. It's Mark 9, verse 14 says, And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, What are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him and said, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute." And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he, Jesus, answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him, and when the Spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him in the fire and in the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can? 
All things are possible for one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. This passage, this petition from the father, I believe, but help my unbelief, has been a constant prayer in my own life. Because I do believe. But I know we can always grow in our strength of faith and trust in God. And just two final verses. Uh, short ones. In Galatians 2, verse 20, it says, For I have been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. And then if you ever receive any emails from me or correspondence, I often sign them, sign my name on them, and just Psalm 27 underneath it. Psalm 27, verse 1 says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Amen. 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 Thank you for that last. So as we prepare our hearts to confess our sins, that exhortation that Les just gave, gave us reminds us of our need to confess our sins. As we prepare ourselves to do that, we're going to sing... Um, what wondrous love is this? What wondrous love is this, O oh my soul, O oh my soul? What wondrous love is this, O oh my soul? What wondrous love is this that caused the Lord of bliss to bear the curse for my soul, for my soul, to bear the dreadful curse for my soul. When I was sinking down in despair, in despair, when I was sinking down in despair, when I was sinking down his frown, Christ laid aside his crown for my soul, for my soul, Christ laid aside his crown for my soul. To God and to the Lamb I will sing, I will sing, to God and to the Lamb I will sing. To God and to the Lamb, who is the great I Am. While millions join the theme, I will sing, I will sing. While millions join the theme, I will sing. Ye sons of Zion's King, join the praise, join the praise. Sons of Zion's King, join the praise. Ye sons of Zion's King, with hearts and voices sing, and strike each tuneful string in His praise, in His praise, and strike each tuneful string in His praise. And when from death I'm 
It's so good to see everyone's faces without any masks or anything. It's just a, it's a blessing. <laughs> um, so I just wanted to, I, I talked a little bit about why we kneel, but just again, just to remind us, um, and, and Joe says it's an invitation, and, um, and I would even in, invitate, invitate? <laughs> <I thought it's, laughs> who can't kneel physically, but still we want to kneel with our hearts. Right, and that's that's the purpose of kneeling with our physically because it helps. Sometimes our physical posture helps our hearts go where they're supposed to go. And so, um, I'll invite all of us to kneel, either physically or in our hearts. But one way or another, we bow before the Lord. And let me read from Hebrews four. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to emphasize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And this is a, we're going to um, pray together. I'm going to start us off in prayer when I, you, you can see where I see when that's, Pastor sends together, that's when we join in, so. Lord, we just come before you, and we come with boldness, not because we deserve to be heard or because there's something special about us, but we come to bold, with boldness because of your great love for us and your incredible grace for us. And so we just, we are presenting our sins before you. Let's confess our sins to God together. Have mercy on us, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out our transgressions, wash away all our iniquity, and cleanse us from our sin. We have pursued our own selfish desires and have chased after vain conceit. We have passed up opportunities to be used to further your kingdom, here on earth. We have been quick to speak and slow to listen. Lord, bring our tongues into submission to your Holy Spirit. Cleanse us with hyssop, and we will be clean. Wash us, and we will be whiter than snow. Create in us a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within us. Do not cast us from your presence, 
or take your Holy Spirit from us. Restore unto us the joy of your salvation, and grant us a willing spirit to sustain us. Amen. Please rise for the assurance of pardon. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve, or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Please, oh sorry, people of God, hear the good news. Your sins are forgiven through Christ. Thanks, Thanks be to God. <laughs> a responsive reading. Oh, you, so you start off and then. Oh, yeah, no, no, I know, but uh, was uh, Psalm 103, 13 yeah. 18 already read? Yeah. No, okay. it wasn't. We haven't read it yet. Oh, I don't have my, I don't have my scripture there. Okay. Oh, it is? Yeah. Oh, that's actually the song broke down. Well, how wonderful for me. Thank you. You can see I'm very well prepared here. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone. And his place remembers it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children. To such as keep his covenant, and to those who remember his commandments to do them. Amen. All right, you guys go ahead and have a seat. We're going to learn a new psalm. So the scriptures change us. And James tells us that the scripture is like a mirror. It uh, reveals, it reveals the uh, kind of the intentions of our heart. And we don't want to be like the man who sees himself and then goes away and doesn't change anything. And so one of the ways that we learn to be changed by scripture is by singing it. And so if you turn uh, in your program there to uh, Psalm 124, let Israel now say in thankfulness. In, in learning this song, there's a, there's a little bit of a, if you got a chance to watch that video that I sent out in the email, there's a story that goes along with it that um, almost uh, a little over 400 years ago, there was some persecution of the church going on in Scotland. Um, and one of the pastors had been put in jail, which it's no, that, that kind of thing, pastors being put in jail for preaching the gospel is no longer something only in our past. It's happening today and not in third world countries either. So this man was put in, um, put in jail and he was eventually let out. And as he was walking back into Scotland, his friends and relatives came to kind of to walk with him triumphantly back into the city. And, and that those numbers went from 100 up to thousands of people all started gathering around him. And as they walked, as they marched their way back into Scotland, they sang this song, not 
not a version of this song, but this song exactly. This is from a Genevan Psalter, and it's also from the, uh, the Scottish Psalter as well. They sang it in four-part harmony. We're, we'll just go ahead and sing the, uh, the melody tonight, because the melody has an interesting, it's got an interesting beat, uh, it's got an interesting rhythm to it. And if you notice, um, there is no time signature in this. And so um, if you can figure out what the time signature is, you can tell me after, after our uh, time of worship here. So um, we're going to sing verse 1, uh, the, that first line, maybe three times. And then after we've sung it three times, that hopefully will have a little bit of the rhythm down, the melody down. Then we'll go on to line two and line three. But we'll just sing uh, uh, verse number one as we learn this. Ladies, I now saying thankfulness that if the Lord had not our right maintained and if the Lord had not with us start with verse 1 and we'll go all the way through it. Let Israel now say in thankfulness that if the Lord had not our right maintained and if the Lord had not with us
right, it's our privilege now to hear the Word of God being read. So if you would stand up while we hear the Word of God. Good. We got improvement. I'll be reading from Genesis 1, 26 31, and then Matthew 12, 9 21. These are the words of the Lord. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that is the breath of life, I have given every green plant of four food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. He went on from there and entered their synagogue. And a man was there with hindered hand, and they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him? He said to them, Which one of you is a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. And many followed him, and he healed them all, and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved one of whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not, get, he will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The saying, Holy God, we praise thy name in your bulletin. Sing chorus praising, fill the 
apostolic train, join the sacred name to hallow. Prophets swell the loud refrain, and the white robed martyrs follow, and from morn to set. have a seat. We're going to now offer up our prayers of thanksgiving and petition. So if the men who would, lead, who would uh, be leading us in that, please come forward. in synchrony and give thanks to the Lord. First Chronicles 16, 28-34 says, Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Let the heavens be glad, and the, let the earth rejoice, and let them say among the nations, The Lord reigns. Let the sea roar, and all that fills it. Let the field exult, and everything in it. Then shall the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. O oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Dear Lord our God, when we consider the magnitude of our sin, that the wages therein are death, it brings upon us a great joy and thanksgiving for the free gift of eternal life in Jesus Christ. We would join with the Moravians who exclaim, may the lamb who was slain receive the reward of his suffering. Gratitude is the worship we owe you, O Lord. Dear God, we thank you that in the order of creation we are image bearers. Humanity, where the spiritual and material world are joined together and constitute the crowning culmination of creation. And Lord, we truly thank you, the one who said, let light shine out of darkness, for giving us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in our hearts. Lord, we thank you, that even though we may be afflicted in every way, we are not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. Lord, we thank you for your redeeming love, Lord Jesus, the creator who sustains all things, we thank you for each unconscious heartbeat, for each breath that we have thoughtlessly drawn, for the common mercies in our lives, Lord, common yet so priceless that we would physically perish without them. We thank you for eyes that can not only watch our dear children slumber in peace, but also see the glory of the risen Christ. We thank you for ears that bring us the laughter and singing of friends and family but also the truth of God in our hearts through the word. 
We thank you for mouths that can speak, teach, encourage, reprove, and sing of the glory of Almighty God. We thank you for the sense of touch that we can hold fiercely and not let go, but also render an open hand of tender fellowship, relief, and comfort. We thank you for minds that can reason and think and process and that are no longer reprobate, but know you, certainly not exhaustively, truly, minds that know truth is real and absolute and that you are the source of all truth. And Lord, we thank you, period. We know that apart from you, we can do no good thing. That apart from you, this fellowship tonight would not exist. That apart from your sovereignty in calling us and regenerating our hearts in the gift of faith and repentance, in justifying us before you, in adopting us as sons, in sanctifying us in truth, in preserving us for the day of glory, and in finally glorifying us, that apart from you, we would perish for all eternity. We thank you for all of our brothers and sisters in Christ, May the true church of God multiply and remain forever faithful. Lord, you are good, and your mercy endures forever. And all God's people say, Amen. 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 Psalm 103, 6 through 7. Yahweh does deeds of justice and judgment for all who are oppressed. Who made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel? Yahweh is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abundant in loyal love. Great and mighty God, ruler of the universe, we come before you with our petitions that you would be glorified in our seeking to form a mission church and that an unapologetically biblical church would be born in our community. That our more families would join us in our mission church for clarity in forming our liturgy, for God's provision and wisdom in seeking a pastor and when the time comes, when the time comes, that families would be blessed and encouraged in our fellowship, for health and well-being in our fellowship, comfort and courage for the So family, for Andrew's health, for healing for Judy Myers' AFib heart condition, wisdom from the doctors in determining Leslie Moog's excuse me, heart health, also. It would be good to be consistent in praying for Trinity Church, Pastor Hash, Hatcher in the session, in guiding us. Prayer for faithful covenant children who would love the Lord all their days. Prayer for the marriages in our midst. Prayer in the ending of abortion. Travel mercies for the Morkies. And prayer for Mariah Corbin for cancer, that she would be healed mm -hmm. and that your glory would be brought forth on this. Also, we seek for provision in seeking our elders. We humbly beseech you, Lord, for these requests, guided by your will, and in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 And we want to finish with uh, a prayer written by Nathaniel Vincent. You who, you who commands and hears prayer, you who helps our people to pray, pour out the spirit of grace and supplication, that your throne of grace may be surrounded by supplicants, and that there may be a great flock flocking to the mercy seat, and grace may be imparted abundantly to your own glory, through Jesus Christ, the high priest, who is passed into the heavens and is at your right hand forever.
Amen. Amen. All right, the last song, the psalm that we're going to sing is Psalm 128 before we do our discussion. So you guys go ahead and stand up. on the back of your bullets if you didn't see it there. Bless the man that fears Jehovah and that walketh in his ways. Thou shalt eat of thy hands labor and be prospered all thy days. Thy shall find with fruit abounding in thy house thy wife is found and my God implants thy guys, and we're going to talk about chapter 3 of Standing on the Promises. Spencer's working his magic on this. That's right. Uh -oh. Working my sleeping baby magic here. So, uh, this this chapter, I felt that Doug um, kind of just emphasized some of the things he touched on in some of the other cha in the other chapters. Um, just a little, a little more heavily and really kind of gave us a, a good guidebook as to how we can get to um, some of these things that he's talking about. Um, I don't know how many of you have ever had a garden, but sometimes it can be you start out with good ideas. Um, like, oh, this is going to be great. We'll, we'll can some of this and we'll have food all winter. And then the next thing you know, you're cursing the ground. Um, and Doug kind of, uh, he talked about... Um, how it's, it's very easy for us to let things get out of hand simply by doing nothing. And I, as I was reading in the, on page 36 here, uh, let's see, where is that quote? He talked about our, our, like, a, like a garden full of weeds and how our home can become that very easily if we just sort of stand by and do nothing. And I remember there's, a, there's an old poem that the, a line that goes, a man of words and not of deeds is like a garden full of weeds. And I, I immediately thought of that, and I think that's um, really emphasized sort of what Doug's talking about. We have to be, we have to be diligent in doing the things that God has, has told us to do, um, and we have to do so in faith. And when we don't do that, um, our garden becomes full of weeds rather quickly, um, and in our home. Um, I like what Doug had to say about that we have to get the order correct in our in the faith and the works. Um, it's if we try to do the work without without faith, um, it's very empty. And uh, uh, so where's the um, there's a quote I underlined here. Oh, 
He said, labor without encouragement of, from the promises is self-righteous legalism, and claiming promises without labor is nothing but foolish presumption. The heart of covenant keeping is promise believing, and faith without works is dead. <clears throat> he gives us kind of a, a layout of how we can um, structure the, the, the obedience in our home. Um, on page 37, he started out with a example here. It says, personal obedience um, for ourselves. And then he quoted Colossians 3.21. He says, Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. In a Christian home, the children are under the authority of parents who are under authority themselves. Nothing undermines godly parenting more than hypocrisy. And we talked about that, I know, a little bit last week, um, about how easy it is, is to demand things of our children while we ourselves are not doing those things. And I think... Um, the kids are pretty quick at smelling a hypocrite. <laughs> like, now wait a minute, you told me to clean my room, but your room's pretty messy. Like, hold on a second here. And I think it, it very much undermines our authority, and I think our kids lose respect for us as parents in what we're asking of them when we're, you know, saying one thing and doing another ourselves. So I think, especially as fathers, I think if we're going to lead our homes well and see to it that our kids are... Um, growing in the Lord. We have to be growing in the Lord ourselves. That means we have to be diligent in being in the Word. And so, uh, so you had to use that example, really? What was that? I said you had to use that example, really? The clean room one? That was that hit really deep. Well, <laughs> I'm speaking from personal experience here. Okay. As with the garden. I, I can't tell you how many times we're like, yeah, we're going to plant seed this year. It's going to go great. Next thing I know, we're pulling weeds. I'm like, why didn't we just sign to do this? This is a bad idea. These beans never grow. Um... <laughs> But I think we do that sometimes as parents, though, too. Sometimes I think we, we have grand, a grand idea of how we want to see our children behave, and then we, you know, we do the work, but we don't do it in faith. And as a result, we find ourselves pulling weeds and cursing the ground, you know? Why isn't this working? Um, the second part that he talked about here was that we have to intercede for our children. I like the example he used from Job. Um, that Job was spending time... Uh, he, really, he gave us the quote here from Job 1.5. So it was when the days of feasting had run their course that Job would, sent, would send and sanctify them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. Um, I know I, we spend time in prayer for our kids, but um, I'm sure I'm not the only one who probably thinks I should do that more. It's easy to, to, you know, when you have a kid who's struggling with something, to think, oh, I should pray for, you know, whoever about whatever it is. But I think that, um, I think all too often we, we get lazy in, in seeing to it that we're praying even about little things for our kids. Little things like, you know, asking God for um, grace for our children that they might be obedient to mom while I'm at work. Um, little things like that. And, um, you know, I spend hours, I'm sure, if we really thought about all the ways we could pray for our kids. Um, and then the last thing he mentioned here was instruction on God's standards. And then he quoted uh, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, which I'll go ahead and read. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. 
There again, I think it's easy for us to get into a, a mode of thinking. We can, oh, we go to church. The kids hear, you know, churchy things at church. And, you know, maybe we do family worship occasionally when we get around to it. And we pray before our meals, like we talked about before. But that shouldn't be the only time we're praying as a family. That shouldn't be the only time that our kids hear the word of God. It shouldn't be the only time that our kids um, have godliness brought to mind. And I think, you know, how many times through the day do we have opportunities when we see sin worked out around us in the world or when we are merely doing something that we could see a truth of God and, and give that to our children and share that with our kids? Um, how often can we uh, work on memorizing scripture as a family and try to do that throughout the day? Like, you know, quick, you know, what's, the, what's our verse for the month, you know? And trying to be diligent that our kids are hearing the truths of God regularly and all the time. Spencer, can I say something about the, yeah. the prayer thing? Is I, it's, this stuff has really been on my heart lately is I feel like sometimes my prayer life for my kids is like putting out fires. Like as things come, like I gotta pray that down, I gotta pray that down, as opposed to really in prayer claiming the promises, and not even when there's a problem, but to just to claim those the promises of God for my children on a regular basis, instead of waiting for issues to arise and then praying for them. I think that's a that's been a that's a place where the Holy Spirit is kind of talking to me right now. It's like just being faithful in those prayers, even when there isn't a problem. <laughs> yeah. I think it can be easy for us to be reactive and not proactive, yeah, yeah. yeah. very much so. <clears throat> I like what Doug said here. He said, understanding the biblical standards of parenting is useless without obedience. I thought about, and I think Doug even kind of sort of made a mention of this. You know, we can have our kids understand what we ask of them. If I say, you know, Ben, go clean your room, he can understand exactly what I mean. But if he doesn't do it, it doesn't do any good. You know, and I think very much that we are like, we're like that ourselves. We, we know what God wants of us, and yet we don't follow through with it. <clears throat> I made a little note here in the, the margin on page 40. Um, we must be obedient in faith. When we trust in God's promise and are obedient to his commandment, God strengthens us to complete the work and produce the subsequent fruit. Um, I think it's easy to say, oh yeah, I believe that God will do that. But I think if we're not, if we're not being... Um, diligent in what God has asked of us to, um, we won't see the fruit grow. And, and he, Doug does a good job of just sort of giving an example of a thorn bush. Um, if God transforms a thorn bush into an apple tree, he doesn't, um, he doesn't do it because it was producing so many fine apples the way it was before. He, he, by a work of grace, makes the change which is afterwards seen and recognized. And how is it seen? It's seen in the apples. So I think it, we can get discouraged, I think, when we're not seeing fruit. But I think that sometimes it's uh, important for us to um, remain faithful and have faith that what God has said he will do, he will do. We just have to be diligent in doing what he has asked us to do. Spencer, I think I, I, think I um, shared this last week, but the aha moment for me early on when Ava was just a baby was the, the, the very beginning, the, the, what he says at the beginning of this chapter, like the believing part. So you can't do any of this if you don't first believe those promises of God. So like the, the way you the way you start all of this is first by believing God at His word. You know, just like Abraham believed God and was credited to Him as righteousness. When we you can do all the right things parentally, but if you don't believe those promises, 
it's, it's dead works. Mm -hmm. And then if you believe all those promises, it will produce good fruit. It, you'll, it'll, act, it'll make you do the works that are necessary right. to, to, make, to make the fruit come. But it all starts with faith. You know, it's, that, that was maybe a basic aha moment, but it was, it was, I remember it clearly in my own parenting life. I like something else that Doug said here too, um, that correcting your son and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your soul. I think as a, as a nurse, I see a lot of families that are in a position where mom or dad are getting older and are starting to have more struggles. And um, seeing the difference between families where children have not been, um, well, maybe not well parented, but just whatever whatever life has caused these kids are not very helpful for mom and dad, and, and there's there's no rest there, and you can see it, and it's um, it's kind of heartbreaking to see families in that that stage of the difficulties of of um, getting older, and there's no rest in your children, and yet I've also seen families where there's a great deal of rest in in the children that my kids are going to take care of me, my kids are going to. Um, my kids are living good lives, and I know they are. Um, and I, obviously we want more than just good lives for our kids. We want our kids to follow the Lord. Um, I think we need to remain diligent so that, you know, as we, as we age as parents and we see our kids growing up, there's rest there. You know, we're not sitting worrying nights like, oh, where's Ben tonight? Like, you know, I know he's been hanging out with kind of a bad crowd. We don't want that for our kids. Um, I, want, I want to know that my children are... Um, seeking to follow the Lord themselves, that it's not just like a, an afterthought in the way I've raised them. It's not an afterthought for them, like, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. I should go to church on Sundays. And, but while I'm at college, you know, I'll just try to make it occasionally. Like, we don't want that. Um, hi. <laughs> yeah, you go back to sleep. <laughs> Poor kid. Um, you know, we need to, we need to be able to rest that our children are doing um, the things of God, and that that will be a delight to us. Um, something I wrote down here: I said our children should not be a testimony to the efficacy of our parenting, but to our own obedience to God. Um, I think that that seeing that kind of life in our children, it'll stem out of our own obedience and faith. If we're not being obedient ourselves, we should we like. Doug was saying, we won't see those apples pop up on the tree. You know, I can have faith that that thorn bush will become an apple tree, but if I'm not obedient to do the things God has asked, then it's not going to happen. Um, we need to be obedient ourselves. Um, Doug talked a great deal about um, discipline in this, in this chapter um, regarding how we discipline children. Um, but I feel like he also kind of talked about how we discipline ourselves. Um, like, like I said, if we're not disciplining ourselves, then the discipline of children is pretty empty. Um, because, like I said, kids can smell a hypocrite pretty fast. Um, he wrote something here. Discipline is an act of love which will save children from destruction. And something that was told to me um, fairly early on when Sarah and I were married, or having kids, I guess. Um, so we'd been married for a while. But somebody said that your kids should understand why they're being disciplined. And I thought, our kids need to understand that we're doing it out of love because we're saving them from destruction. I think it makes that, that discipline that much more uh, meaningful to the children when it's not just like, well, I'm getting a swat because I was disobedient. Well, why is that a problem? It's a problem because you're headed down a road to destruction, and I do not want you to go down a road to destruction. You hear that, Benny? 
Nope. He's asleep. <clears throat> Doug said here, children of Christian parents are to be brought up in an environmentally dominated by the word of God. Parents are to be diligent in teaching their children the law of God all the time. When the children are not present with the parents, say at school, the parents are still responsible for what the children are being taught in their absence. If the children are watching the tube, the parents are responsible for what is being taught. The teaching the children receive is to be comprehensive and godly. Um, I know for us, having a little bit different view of how we do things, um, and I've mentioned this, I think it was a couple weeks ago, how sometimes you kind of get viewed as the wet blanket in a crowd. Um, like we'll be at a family get together and somebody will want to, some kids will want to put on a movie and it's maybe something I'm like, eh, really don't want the kids to see that. And you kind of get deemed the wet blanket of the group. But I would rather that and ensure that I'm seeing to it that my kids are hearing godly things instead or are not hearing things that are um, anti-God. Um, Amen. I, I feel like that it's, and that's a part of an obedience and I think a, a duty on our part that sometimes it's unpleasant, but um, we're commanded to take up our cross and that's not pleasant most of the time. <clears throat> kind of denying ourselves in that. Um, and there again, I think it'd be easier just to, you know, it'd be easier to stand by and do nothing. But like we talked about earlier, what does that produce? Weeds in the garden when we stand by and do nothing. He's just awake enough. He's going to fall out of my arms if I'm not careful. Just a sec. There's something else I under that. Um, did anybody have any problems with the... the um, the disciplining aspect. Um, I know, like, everybody views discipline of their children a little bit differently and even discipline of yourself. Or Spencer, can we even ask, like, did anyone have any, like, additional, like, their own, especially you guys that have raised kids and they're, yes. and they're um, grown and following the Lord, how did you do it? Yeah. Okay. Actually, I, this chapter was really pretty hard for me. Um, as I was yeah. kind of reading through it, I felt like the way that I was trying to flesh it out with Sarah and it it feels like there was a grace sandwich put in with this middle section that is is very is very difficult for me to kind of process um, in some ways um, because the challenge that I that I had and there was a line that you you just said about the efficacy of our parenting is uh, almost a reflection on our own belief mm -hmm. and it is it's challenging when you see your children in a disobedient state and you're striving and you're then asking yourself where is my faith at you know because you it, it I don't know if anybody else had this had this rub there but it almost seemed like this how do I put it it was like a, a circular logic. I have, if, if I believe and have grace, then these things will happen and will be evidence that I have the grace. And then when they're not there or they appear not to be there, is this just a moment of we're working through it? Or is this a, you know, I mean, it's just, it's very, it's very difficult um, when, when you're doing that. And I know there was another section too in there that he talks about, um, allowing the parent who has failed to basically experience the shame 
that they had of of their of uh, the shame and the remorse of their of their parenting choices, and that was something that was also difficult because as an imperfect parent, despite following after Christ, um, I and coming from a coming from a home that didn't have um, particularly one party was not a very good representation of Christ in the home. Um, having been a child of that situation, having forgiven them for, uh, for that transgression, I don't necessarily, I want that shame to, for that person to be pinned on the cross and to be on the cross of Christ. And so maybe I'm being overly compassionate. I don't know. It didn't feel like this middle section was very compassionate to parents of, that, are, that are struggling. That's all that I would say to that. So I, I understand what you're saying. I think that as a, as, a, I mean, as a parent of children, I understand what you're saying. Sometimes when you're like, the kids are in disobedience, it's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to be like, man, what, what's going on here? Where am I? Where's my faith, like you were saying? Um, I think we also have to remember that sometimes those trials, I mean, that is a process of our sanctification and sanctification for our kids. You know, I mean, we all grow through through our own error and sinfulness, you know, and, and learning through, okay, you know, what, what am I doing wrong here? And that conviction that comes with that. I think as far as the, the shame aspect, I think, I'm trying to remember what Doug said exactly here. Um, there was a, I, know, I, I kind of felt a little bit the same. I was like, well, like it's, yeah, it's right that you should feel shame if you've, Errored, and there's <laughs> you know you've done wrong. Um, I think more than anything, though, I felt like he was really warning us not to coddle people who are in a position of, of shame because of something that maybe they haven't dealt with in a biblical manner. You know what I mean? Like that when we're when somebody maybe hasn't done what we're talking about, somebody hasn't in faith um, been obedient to the things God has asked, and then they're reaping the unpleasantries that follow there's going to be some shame there especially if they realize man this is kind of my own fault um, and he's saying I don't I think it's good that shame sometimes I think can spur us to return to the cross you know it can spur us to go I'm I've sinned I screwed up I need to return to God and say God I need you know your grace over this this isn't something I've done and like he said that then a lot of times you know by giving them a false a false and lying comfort um, you know, people, we, we coddle that, and instead of putting them on their knees before God, asking for forgiveness and seeking that that child might be restored or whatever the case may be, they go, well, you know, I did all I could. And, you know, when, we're, when we coddle that, I think is kind of what he was warning us against there. Spencer, don't you also think there's a little bit of like a, an indicative, or a, yeah, an indicative in all of this? It's just like, this is the way things are. If you have a son and he he strays away from the Lord, it will bring you grief. Like yeah. that's just it's just the reality, and, right. you know. And and there's a, there's a sense in which your son can bring you great joy, and you can be proud of him, or he can bring you great shame. You go. I tell I tell Charles. I tell all my kids. You can bring the name of this family down through your actions. That's how much authority God has given you as a as a son in this family. Um, and that doesn't mean there's not hope for it. It doesn't mean that the cross is not sufficient. It's just like this is the reality that we live in. Wise sons and wise daughters are a joy and a delight to their parents, and foolish sons bring grief and, and, 
and heaviness of heart and, and sorrow to their parents. Um, and we can't, we can't get away from that. Um, and so I think it's maybe a little bit more of just a teaching on the indicative of the fact that it's just true. Yeah. Well, I think that stems back to that we need to be diligent in, in steeping our children in God's wisdom and the way that we're raising them and what we're teaching them in the home. Because, um, you know, wisdom begets more wisdom as they learn and, learn and grow and um, build on that. And then that staves off a lot of the errors of worldliness, you know, and um, keeps them out of, the, out of being in that predicament. Yes, Charles. Popular commandment of the day is thou shalt feel good about thyself no matter what happens. Joe, maybe it was just maybe just me, because I, I, I could have I read this chapter perhaps maybe too personally, but I just I felt like the way that it was worded, it was almost as if your children's behavior could appear or could have be an indicator or an indictment on your faith like where like the the this that how how your children are acting is where your sort of salvific fruit comes to bear and so what I, I guess I'm just wondering like you know okay one slip of disobedience by the kid oh you know what does that say about me you know or is this like oh well this is a the, is this a chapter because there wasn't a lot of anecdote it was just very like hard and fast is this do you think it's more of a a life line a lifetime or a, a timeline projection oh we're seeing that this is this kid isn't just having a bad week or a bad year this is like hey okay this is a lifetime of fruit now we've come to see like i i guess maybe or somebody else could maybe answer that I directed at joe but i was with you andrew i, I struggles that that one section I just I felt like it was a little too matter of fact that if your kids are are disobedient then therefore you are mm. you have messed up and I mm. I don't I don't think that's true I mean I, I just think about in scripture where I think there's one place where the disciples asked Jesus is this guy like this because he sinned or because his parents sinned mm. Jesus says yes. neither one I mean, there's another reason that he's like this you know I mean I I think we I, I just and again, I might have read wrong too, but I, I just felt like there was a little bit too tightly, like if there's disobedience, then there must be. And I just think that we're all sinful people and our kids are sinful. And yes, I, I think very much our, our parenting is gonna have a major effect on our kids. And, and I do trust in the promises of God and I stand upon them, um, but I don't know. I just I'd be really careful about looking at someone else's kids and saying, "Man, you really messed up, didn't you?" You know. I mean, that just seems a little bit. And, and that was and that was kind of the I that was the fear that I had. If you approach this with humility, it's fine. But if you're on the outside and maybe your kids happen to have a disposition uh, that doesn't need the Holy Spirit <laughs> brought into their lives a bunch, right? And you look at it and you go. Well, my faith must be great, right? And then you yeah. pass judgment on the other parent without, like, just turning the mirror toward yourself. And I know that we're in a group here that isn't about that, that it's about humility. But I could see that you could take a chapter like this, and if things seem to be hunky-dory to you, you could kind of weaponize that against somebody in and go, hey, what, what's up with your faith? Yeah. I noticed that 
kiddos. Well, I, I think the, I feel like so, yeah. they're talking more like an overarching, um, not, because I mean, like I said, we're all sinful people. Our kids are going to do sinful stuff. It's never going to stop. I mean, it's going to happen. It happens to us as adults, um, adults who've been in the faith for years. We still struggle with sin. But I think, I feel like Doug's talking a little bit more about the, um, the end result that we will have kids who have faith that even though they still struggle with their sin, that they'll be in the faith. They're not going to be wayward, you know, drunken, carousing, you know. I, th- I think he's just, I feel like that's kind of more the, the direction he's going with that. And I, But I do agree with you. I think it can be easy, um, the way he wrote that section, um, like you said, to weaponize it. It can be easy to become judgy of other people. I do just lay down. Absolutely. I remember when I was a kid, I remember my dad saying to me, Randy, someday you're going to do something and we're not going to be able to help you. Mm-hmm. See, I remember that. I remember that clearly. And my dad was right. Mm-hmm. But I don't blame my parents for my mistakes because my parents didn't make my decision. I made my decision. Yeah. And even as a child, if he's he has to make his decision and pay the consequences of his decision. Mm-hmm. Because I paid the consequences of my decisions mm-hmm. more than once. Mm-hmm. More than once. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't easy. And I don't want to see anybody else go through the, mm-hmm. the pain mm-hmm. and the horror that I went through. Mm-hmm. I don't want to see that. But you have to remember, too, that that child has a, a mind. And he has, a, has mm-hmm. to make his own decisions. And we may, as, as parents, we may not like that decision. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We may hate that decision, but but that child, as you try to raise him in the right direction, to go the right direction, if he makes the wrong decision, well, then he has to also pay the consequences of that wrong decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, and as a parent, yes, it hurts. Mm-hmm. It hurts really bad because you don't want to see that child go through that. That's all I got. No, I, and I agree with you. I think we we uh, we can do all that we can, but we never know what the road our children are going to take is going to look like. Um, I think I think it's good that we, like Doug's talking about, that we stand on the promises that God has made us. That we, in faith, are obedient to what God has commanded. And I think that God is good on His promises. And I think we, uh, raising our children in such a manner, hope that our children will be. Um, people of wisdom and God, are God-fearing people, and hopefully won't make those decisions. But that's not to say they, you know, I mean, we don't know what path their faithfulness is going to look like. They may make a lot of bad decisions before they end up turning to the Lord, or you know, what, whatever the case may be. And you know, it, um, was that verse in James? Counted all joy when you counter trials of various kinds. Mm-hmm. You know, who knows that our children's trials may not be trials for us as well. And that sanctifying process therein and drawing us both closer to the Lord. Ms. Spencer? Yeah. Uh, I would say as well, um, you know, it, we've got to be careful that our, our response is not just directed at the behavior. Mm-hmm. You know, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the powers and the rulers and authorities that are behind it. So, you know, what Randy was saying, the world, the Oprahs and Phil's of the world, want your children to believe they're victims. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, you went down this path and you went down it because of, because of what your dad did or whatever. 
And that's what we war against. We're warring against that. You know, that's that's the essence of this thing. Uh, the world just wants to suck any life out of these kids, man. And you guys are, you guys with these young kids are, you're on the front lines, period. You just are, you know. So. Well, I think also what you were saying, I think as a culture, we're in a place where we don't hold people accountable for their own actions. And, um, and, and same thing with what we were talking about earlier about like with the shame um, aspect. Um, we all make mistakes, and unfortunately those mistakes have consequences. And it's, um, sometimes it's very unpleasant, sometimes it's moderately unpleasant, but it's always unpleasant, um, depending on what we've done. <clears throat> but we definitely need to hold people accountable for the things that they have done, um, and our children included. I would say it's fortunate that they have consequences, because that's how we learn. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> Again, as a nurse, I've seen a lot of people who haven't learned from yeah. the consequences. <laughs> Do you, um, does, it, does it help at all? Because it was, I've been telling everybody, Andrew, that Andrew said this was a spicy chapter. Because, <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I agree, it was, it was you know, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Um, if, you know, the chapter was a lot of hard words, that's for sure. But does it help at all if we think in terms of headship? And if you're, if you're the, the mother and the father of a family, and your family is still under your care and your authority, and they go astray, yes, it's their sin. They're accountable to God for their sin, but it's coming on your watch. It's coming under your authority. And so you might not have been the one that hit the iceberg, but if you're the captain and the ship goes down, you're, you know, you're the captain at the helm. And it might not have been your individual sin that led to something, but you still bear us a sense of responsibility. Um, if, if anything, just in the fact that you experience shame. You know, you experience those things, and that's just how the, the, the world works. Does that help at all, or does that not? Yeah, no. I, I, I think it. I think it does. I think where my my struggle is, and this is good to kind of dialogue this out. I think it, it's help. It's helping me wrap my ra mind around it. Is the assurity of the promises of God coupled with the reality of living with a bunch of sinners? Excluding myself, of course. <laughs> uh, uh, no, but I mean, in all seriousness, it's like, okay, so, the, you know, you're, you're resting in the promise. You're supposed to be resting in the promises of God, knowing that, hey, if you are obedient and that you are uh, active and you're working at it, knowing that in part of that chapter, you haven't done everything you possibly could because nobody could ever do everything they possibly could, right? Because that, that's, that's an impossible thing. So knowing that, but resting in that, how that intersects with the other section in the chapter, which talks about the pass that we give to pastors who have unruly kids. So now we're talking about, we're talking about two different things here. Now we're talking, we're talking about, okay, you got your con Congress, uh, your, your congregational membership kind of person. Then you're talking about your eldership and then qualifications for being an elder or being a pastor. And you often see, Situations where it's like, man, they got three out of the four of them. That fourth one, man, I don't know, you know, and, and that you, you see that situation. And so how much do you hold that pastor accountable for the kid when they got 75% right, <laughs> you know, and then they got this one that's like, man, I, I don't know what the, what the deal with that is. So I'm just kind of wrestling with, with that as far as, and it's purely observational, right? Right. So this is just on an observational basis. What are we seeing that actually happens in Christian homes, where we're 
where something does happen on the dad's watch. Like how do we how do we handle how do we handle that as a church? What is that what does it mean to handle that as a as a as a church family? How, how do I how am I supposed to look at myself if that were to happen? You know, what if, you know. So I don't know if that provided any clarity. <laughs> Could you repeat that please? Yeah, sure. <laughs> so I, I too kind of is going through this section on elders. Um, and I know we as men on Thursday nights have kind of already discussed like it, I think it's good for us as men to aspire to the role of eldership not necessarily that we should want to be elders but that we should be um, uh, what's the word? Equipped to be or prepared? Equipped or prepared to be there you go um, that, that, that's a good thing to, to aspire to but it is interesting um, you know I know of a situation a pastor who's um, children as adults um, have become very wayward, and does that does that make him ill-suited to be the pastor of that church? You know, there's, these are decisions the kids have made in adulthood, um, sort of like what we we're saying over here. I mean, those kids made those decisions as adults, not under his tutelage or in his home. But did that did that did those failings start in his home? You know, and that's the that's the um, the thing I think we have to um, kind of work through. What does the congregation do? Yeah, I guess where, where do we I go mean, with this that? Denomination, sorry. What are they? What in that situation? Yeah. Um, that person is still um, pastoring that church. Well, but I mean, I'm sorry. I meant this this denomination that we're looking at. Like, what is the policy for? Oh, as far as what we do with that, that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, do they have a, or if an elder had something happen? I'm, I'm personally of the opinion the person needs to be taken out of that position. But that's my own personal opinion, just from what, what's said here in Timothy and in, uh, uh, what's if, the if they're adult children are not in the household anymore, and they've gone wayward after leaving the house, that pastor should be removed. That's what you're saying? That's kind of my knee-jerk reaction, okay. but um, that's based on the chapter. Based on that chapter, that's based on it, that chapter. But also just things I've read. I mean, I've read through First Timothy and the, um, you know, what what an elder should be before, and, and already kind of wrestled with some of that. But I have to admit, I haven't studied it in depth, so I'll take that as a caveat. Joe, do you know what? The uh, you know, I don't know about the outside of the household authority. I'm not sure about that. That's, that's actually a question I've been meaning to ask uh, Hatch, and I haven't hadn't had a chance. I just haven't asked ask him yet. But um, I'll, I will ask him. I'll, I'll try to find that out. Um, I think it's probably what Spencer's talking about. I think that might be the case. But probably with all things, there's wisdom that's taken into account, especially at what time people become Christians and, you know, all of, all of those different varying things that come up in our complicated lives. Um, but I'll find out, and I'll, uh, I'll get back together on that. I think there's another side to this that didn't really come up in the book, but I've thought of situations where, you know, if a pastor or an elder is having trouble at home, the, possibly the best thing for them is not only for the church, but for the family, for them to give up their responsibilities as an elder and really mm -hmm. go home and deal with what's going on at home. You know? yeah. mm -hmm. And I think that there's a there's a loving response in that way. Not not just a disciplinary response, but a loving response. And like you need and I would say the same thing is true, you know, if my job 
is I'm giving so much time to my job, even if I'm not an elder or pastor, right? If, if I'm giving, if my job is like demanding so much time of me and my interests, and I'm giving all this to them, then crying out loud, quit my job. Yeah, we think know, do something yeah. else because family is most important. You know, that, that family nucleus is more important than anything else mm -hmm. in, in the sense of, you know, that's who I'm responsible for. Mm -hmm. At the very beginning, that's my front line. And so anything that's getting in the way of that, anything that I'm, I'm spending much, too much time with or I'm or kind of making my, my primary, well, I've got to do something about that, you know. And so I think there's a lot of wisdom in that sense that, you know, if you're having trouble at home, go home and take care of it, you know. Well, I think, and like you were saying, it's sort of like a wisdom. Where, where do we, as a church, if you have an elder who has a child who's having a significant thing, where do you just immediately say, oh, you're out? Or do you say, you know what, why don't you take a hiatus from this role yeah. and focus on what needs to happen? Right. And, you know, we'll cover for that position for now, or, you know, we'll worry about it. And then when things are correct, we'll get you back into right. doing what you're doing. And I believe it's not even, you know, this horrific behavior it's if, they, yeah. if they're unbelievers. You know, I, I was saved when I was 50 years old. That's when God saved me. My children are grown and gone, and we never raised our children Christian. So, based on what I'm reading there, I shouldn't even be up there reading, you know, I shouldn't even have done the exhortation based on what I kind of did, right? So, um, you know, it was difficult. I read the chapter, too. It was pretty rough. And, well, and, and I and I'm I'm responsible. I take full responsibility. And the dynamic is I've dealt. I, we have dealt with the shame, and every day we deal with the grief. You know we do, but I don't know. Other than just praying our guts out, what do we do? And 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 do now do our best now to model model the behavior and bear the image of the Savior. That's you know and. and and try to nurture our grandchildren, do all that. I mean, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a bit of a limit there. Well, so. I think what Joe said too, they're like taking it through wisdom and taking into account like when people are saved. I actually, I'm not really sure what to make of that where you were saved later in life, your children were under your tutelage yeah. when you yourself weren't saved. Does that change things? And how does that change things? I think that's something that would, yeah. you know, bear some stuff. Sure. Not, not for Sunday night, probably, but... Yeah, but on, on that one, I mean, I don't know what Hatch would say on that, but I can almost guarantee you, in your case, that would not be disqualifying. Yeah. Because you're, that was when you had a heart of stone, and, and God changed everything about your life. But, you know, what was going on in your life before that is still, is still a consequence. It's kind of like, um, I heard a pastor talk about if you if you were to if, uh, if you were a missionary and you were converting a tribe that in, was involved in polygamy, the last thing you would want to do is is like after the after the tribe um, got converted is to tell them all to like divorce all of their wives and just you just have one you know it's like it's a messed up it's a messed up broken thing, um, but they got to take care of these people that they've committed themselves to. In that particular case, they wouldn't feel they wouldn't feel the requirement of being the husband of one wife, but but they would be they wouldn't necessarily be disobedient in that situation. In in, in in your case, being saved later on in life, I I can't I really can't see that particular um, verse applying in the same in the same way. I'll I'll let you know what Hatch what okay, Hatch says absolutely. on that, but uh, but that's that's how I would. Think it. So I thought I'd end with uh, Doug's words here toward the end of the chapter. 
Um, so we must constantly remember the grace of God. Even when parents have been unfaithful to the covenantal responsibilities given them, the sovereign mercy of God will sometimes intervene. Um, so consider the tragic contrast between Samuel and Saul. Samuel was a faithful prophet and judge, but as a father, he was disgraced by his sons who took bribes. Saul, on the other hand, was an unfaithful king who had his kingdom taken away because of his unfaithfulness. Nevertheless, he had one of the noblest sons in Scripture, Jonathan. And I think, um, you know, something you just said less a minute ago, and I think it's um, very fitting to end on, is you said, we, you know, we're constantly praying and praying and praying and praying and praying and praying. And as parents, I think that's one of the best things we can do to seek God in prayer, both for ourselves but for our families as well, most assuredly. Any other thoughts? Thanks, Ben. Mm -hmm. So in our our Bible reading today, we read uh, from Matthew uh, 19, or sorry, Matthew 12, verses 9 to 21. And in there he quotes Isaiah, who says uh, of Jesus, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoking flax he will not quench, till he sends forth justice to victory. And while it is today, there's always hope. While it is today, there's always hope. And so as we think about this and as we think about our young kids and our grown kids, we can, we can stand on those promises with a total assurance that God will not break his word. And so here, this benediction, if you would stand up for the benediction, this benediction is a benediction of encouragement as we go out into the world. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Amen. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Go in peace. Let's have some food.